Good morning. Hey, I do want to, on that debt reduction, make a couple of comments. <clears throat> we had given a couple of reports during uh, the year, um, but a year ago, September, uh, as a church, we were about $26,000 in debt. And um, without adding in any of the funds <clears throat> that have come in for the final debt reduction for the end of the year, we're down to four grand, which is just incredible in uh, a challenging year that we've just experienced. So, and that has not reduced our tithes and offerings, which have continued to be adequate uh, to pay our bills. But I do want to, on that note, um, how many of you saw the for sale sign coming in? Anybody wondering? Anybody insecure? Um, how much? Yeah, too much. Um, World Center um, has a balloon payment coming due on August 1. That sound familiar to anybody who was with us when we were at Church on the Rock? Um, um, it, is, it is they who have put the building up for sale, and they are hoping, uh, their number one hope would be that someone would come along, perhaps another church, another, not perhaps, another church, purchase the building and keep it being facilitated as it is for multi-church use. However, um, they uh, need to um, be able to uh, release the building uh, themselves because of that uh, significant debt amount. And so it is possible that the building may be sold for some other reason. But then in our current structure of our world circumstances, uh, it may not sell. So um, we're secure for now, but... um, over the last three, four months or so, the, the board and uh, we have been in thoughtfulness that it may be uh, in this next year a time for us to move and perhaps again to find our own place. Uh, David had even had a sense from the Lord that we would move when World Center told us to move. So this is somewhat um, prophetic, perhaps, of, uh, of that circumstance. So. It's important for us to uh, go ahead and knock out the rest of that debt. Uh, four grand would like to be able to do that as fast as possible. It was Clara's hope and prayer that we would have done that by the end of 2008. And so if anybody's got an extra four grand around that would like to finish that off, we can still credit you that for 2008. <clears throat> also, if some of you did not have a chance to get your year-end contributions in, some people get bonuses and things. Um, you, even though it's still it's now 2009, we are going to do one last deposit that we will credit for 2008. Sorry for all the finances, but I think it's uh, important to hear these things. So you can still do that. Just date it for 2008, not 09, and we can get that uh, credited for you. If you didn't bring it today, see me after the service, and we'll figure out how to get you get uh, you to give that four grand. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, if, the, if you're doing something for the debt reduction, please make sure it's notated somehow on the check or uh, the cash with a sticky note or whatever you're doing. Okay, so we need to be in prayer about where uh, what the Father's doing for us, for World Center, and um, do be praying for us. The board will be going away to a retreat uh, for a retreat in February uh, to connect with God. Uh, lay out some plans for the new year to look at our finances and get a plan for a course for us. So if you'd be praying uh, about that for us, that would be great as well. Okay, some time ago I saw a, uh, a bumper sticker, and it said, Life is too precious to waste. Sounds good. But how do we do that? How do we not waste our lives. The Apostle Paul, I think, addresses this in Ephesians 5, 15 15 through 17, where he says, Be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. (coughs) Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. The first thing that Paul says here is, be careful how you live. What might be the opposite of careful? Careless, all right. Paul says, essentially, don't be careless about your life. 
The Greek text, uh, that word for careless is actually made up of two separate words. The first is blepo, which means to see. And the second one is a krebos, which means accurately or with thorough investigation. Essentially, Paul is saying, don't be careless. Instead, pay very close attention to the path of your life. A new year has arrived, 2009. And with it, the opportunity to consider and review our lives, both where we've been and where we're going. And Paul's encouragement here in Ephesians is a good one, I think, at a time like this. Pay close attention to the path of your life. I think there's a a real strong tendency for us to sometimes just sort of stumble through life, you know, not really paying much attention to where we're going until perhaps maybe we wake up one day to find ourselves in a pretty big mess. You know, it could be in our marriage ending in divorce. It could be our finances being so far in debt we can't see the way out. It could be in our habits, perhaps being so controlled by pornography that we're simply living from one secret session to another secret session. It could be our job getting so sloppy that we end up getting the boot. Paul says here, pay close attention to the path of your life. This is, this is something that God is wanting us as followers of Christ to be alert to. But then he goes on in verse 17 and he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Pay attention. Think it through. Know where you're going. Don't be careless. Don't be aimless. Know where you're headed. Pay attention to where God wants you to go and what he wants you to do. And in the end, is that not the only path that doesn't lead to a dead end? But how do we find out what it is that God wants us to do? There's a lot of options of how we could live our lives. Over the next weeks, uh, eight weeks or so, we're actually going to be studying, reading and talking about the purpose-driven life. We're going to be here on uh, doing that here on Sundays in our community groups, our children's ministry, and hopefully you as well will be doing this each day for the next 40 days. We've provided the books, The Purpose Driven Life. We're using that as a basis. It's written by Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in Southern California. I have visited his church back in the late 90s. Um, you know, with, with any significant church and any significant leader, there's always, you know, talk that goes around. Uh, personally, what I have seen and understood from Rick and that ministry is very uh, integrous. Um, I think one of the most profound things that hit me was when his book, Purpose Driven Light, Life, hit so many copies having been sold, uh, he returned to his church every single penny of salary that he had ever been paid. And he discontinued accepting a salary from the church, but continues to lead the church. I mean, if that's a bad guy, that's a pretty good bad guy. So, um, you know, no, no Christian is perfect. Only Jesus was. Um, But what I have heard, I've not read the book all the way through, uh, though I've, of course, read his original book, which was The Purpose Driven Church. I have heard just great reports from friends uh, and, uh, that have read this all the way through and been very, very helped. In the book, there are uh, six different sections which are going to parallel the, the six weeks of our series. And each of those sections is made up of seven days. And we'd like you to be able to have one of those books, as Donna has already suggested. The chapters are pretty easy to read. They're helpful. It, it really should take you just a few minutes each day. Um, at the end of each chapter, there is a, a point to ponder, uh, a verse to remember, and a question to consider. Um, and those are on a daily basis. And so I, I would suggest perhaps that you um, do it first thing in the morning and then maybe write those things down on a note card, put them you know, on a sticky, whatever, consider those things throughout the day. Um, You know, you might do it at the end of your day, the last thing you do at night, so that it's a a basis for your next day, whatever is going to work for you. I would also suggest that if you have a spouse, that you read it together. I think there can be a benefit in the interaction and even the discussion 
of those elements. If you have and are part of a family, you may want to do it as a part of a family time on a daily basis. It won't take long. Uh, but read it and talk to those around you that are also reading it. This week in preparation of pursuing uh, that topic and discussion of the purpose-driven life, I want to consider three important questions in life. They're here on the screen. What does God want? What does it take? And why should I do it? Before we get there, though, let's pray. Papa, thank you that you have uh, provided for us so much. And we have been blessed. But there's more to go. There's a journey left for each of us. Lord, I know I want my, my life, my journey to count. I want the years that are yet ahead of me to make a difference in the world for you. And I believe each of us want that. But Papa, we all recognize that there's hindrances. There's entanglements. There's challenges. And we need you. We need to understand the principles for the path of our journey. But Lord, we need you to empower us to walk it out. And we can't do it alone. We can't even do it just with you. You have provided A family, friends, brothers and sisters, mentors, coaches, to journey with us, to help us. And I pray that in these uh, next eight weeks, this 40 days of fast, that we would be transformed. That habits would be broken and habits would be formed. That would enable us to live our lives with greater intensity, passion, and purpose. That you would be glorified. That others would come to know you because we have made a difference. Help me, Lord, as I now speak and share and for us to hear what it is that you have for us today from these comments. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does God want from you and me? You know, when you read through the Bible in its entirety, essentially you can summarize that in just a couple of words. And you could do it in a variety of different words. But I would suggest this morning that what God wants is your whole life. There's not a single verse in the Bible, not one that says that you can be a Christian and live your life any way you want. It's not there. God wants all of you. He doesn't want 10%. He doesn't want 50%. He doesn't want 99%. He wants all of you. Look with me, uh, if you would, at the screen or in your Bibles at Romans chapter 6, verse 13. We're going to be uh, jumping around a little bit this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 13, I think declares this pretty clearly. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. Notice the words completely and whole body. C.S. Lewis once said, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. If Christianity is really true, then it deserves everything we've got. If it's not true, then we're wasting our time being here. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either all or nothing. It's either true, and that should determine how we spend every day of our lives, or we should simply chuck it out and do whatever else we want. So what is it that God wants us to do? Here's a verse from Deuteronomy from the Old Testament that also I think pretty clearly identifies what this is that God wants. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Reading from the New Century Version. 
This is what the Lord your God wants you to do. Respect the Lord and do what he has told you to do. Love him. Serve the Lord your God with your whole being. There's that idea again. Whole body, whole being. A lot of people, I think, try to sit on the fence. They say, well, serve God in my spare time. It's like their lives are like a pie. One piece is their social life, another is their career life, another is their family life, their retirement life, and then there's their spiritual life. All kind of compartmentalized. Just one part of the pie. Wrong. Not. God is the whole pie. And he wants the whole pie of our lives. He wants it to be under his control. He wants it as one element, not as multi-parts. He doesn't want to be just pigeonholed. God, well, yeah, I go to church. I mean, what more does he want? Well, he wants all of it. He wants all of you. He wants your whole being, your whole life. There's a myth that says you can do it all and you can have it all. But you can't. The only thing that really works is when we give it all to God. Jesus once said, recorded in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus doesn't say you should not. He says you cannot. He says it is impossible. What's he saying? He's saying that to have two number one priorities won't work in your life. Something is always going to rise to the top as number one. And everything else is going to be submitted under that as two, three, four, and five. You can't have two number one priorities. Now, there's a lot of things besides money that can push God out of first place in our lives. Work, school can push God out. Entertainment, sports, hobbies, exercise. Lots of things can push God out of first place. Friends, dating, even family can push God out of first place. Jesus says you cannot serve God and something else at the same time. God is essentially saying to us, I want to be first in your life, and I want to be completely and totally in charge. Not just 10% in charge, not just on Sundays in charge, every day, all the time. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but the first three commandments are all about God being first. There's 10 commandments. Hey, the last you know six are really good. They're about our relationships. The first four are all about God. The first three have to do with him being first. And the fourth one is about setting aside a day each week to rest, to be at peace, and to reflect on his goodness and what he's done for us. I've often thought, man, if, if we could get everyone in the world to simply honor and obey the Ten Commandments, life would be incredible. One of them would be good, but, you know, hey, we, we run amok with the other nine. I think God gave ten because I think they're ten. Now, Jesus summarized them, love God and love others, in the New Testament. And obviously that's significant. But, I mean, those are pretty cool little things. And the three of them have to do with God being first. Let me illustrate this from a story that Jesus told that's recorded in Luke 14. Luke 14, verses 16 through 20. Jesus said a man gave a big banquet, and he invited many people. But all the guests made excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field, and I have to go look at it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. I must go and try them out. Please excuse me. A third person said, I just got married. I, I, I can't come. So here's this pretty significant man 
some have suggested he was telling the story of a king. It's a story, it's a parable that is paralleling God as the one who is giving the banquet. The first guy uses his wealth as an excuse. Hey, I just bought some land, I have to go look at it. It would still be there the next day after the party. Land doesn't tend to go away. But that was his excuse. The second guy used his work as an excuse. Sorry, I have to go plow my field. Now, how many of us would want to say that? Excuse me, I've got to go to work. I don't want to go to a party, all paid for, banquet. No, I've got to go to work. The third guy used his wife as an excuse. Gee, I'd really like to go, but I just got married, and you know how wives can be. I, I kind of need to stay at home. Do the dishes. Yeah, right. Play on your computer. So here's my question for you. What excuse are you using that's keeping you from putting God first? What excuse are you using that's keeping you from putting God first? God, just as soon as I finish school, then, then I'll be sold out for you. I remember saying that one back in college days. God, if, if I could just find a spouse, then we could, we could serve you together. God, just as soon as I get my career in place. God, just as soon as my business is up and running. God, just as soon as the kids are out of the house. God, as soon as I'm out of debt. God, when I retire. God, when I get to heaven, then I'll put you first. It'll never happen. Let me fill you in on a little secret. If you'll put God first, everything else will come into order. Jesus spoke of that in Matthew 6.33. Proverbs 3.6 says the same thing with an incredible promise. Proverbs 3.6 from the Living Bible. In everything you do. That's everything. I don't think there's anything left out of everything. In everything you do. Put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. I, I kind of like that verse. I, I kind of would like to be successful. I, I'd like my life to make a difference. And the way to have that is to put God first. How do we get there? How do we get success? Fame, fortune? No, the Bible says in everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. So a key question that we need to consider and and can consider as we begin a new year. What does God want from my life? And the answer is he wants you. All of you. And he wants to be first in your life. The second question that I want to consider, however, is what does it take? What does it take to not waste my life? What does it take to become all that God wants me to be? What does it take to develop myself to my full potential? The answer is simply one word. It's not a very popular one. It's one that we often cringe at. It's often a famous New Year's resolution. It's the word discipline. This year I'm going to be disciplined. Proverbs 10.17 says, The road to life is a disciplined life. Ignore correction and you're lost for good. You ever thought about the fact that the word disciple comes from discipline? You can't be a disciple without discipline. They go together. So what is this thing that we're so afraid of called discipline? Very simply, discipline is delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. That's all it is. 
Discipline is doing the difficult now to enjoy a greater benefit later. Now, I would suggest and imagine that some of you already practice a significant amount of discipline. Some of you are very disciplined and have been very disciplined in your school. Some of you are disciplined in your work. You plan your day, you're on time, you're conscientious about your study and work habits. Some of you, I know, are disciplined in your physical workouts. You never miss a workout. You always play your thing every week. <coughs> it's become a part of your routine. It's, it's a part of your schedule. Some of you, I also am very aware, are very disciplined in the area of entertainment. It may be TV, it may be movies, it may be playing video games, it might even be eBay. But you always have time for your entertainment. And most of us never miss a meal. Missing a meal is a very rare occurrence for most of us. We're pretty disciplined to make sure we get that food. So the reality is most of us are disciplined in some areas. And you know what those areas are? They are the areas that we want to be disciplined in. They are the things that are important to us. That's the truth. They're often what is first in our life. Think about it. Just for a moment, think back over the last two weeks. Christmas is in there. The New Year's Day was in there. Probably a couple, ex you know, a couple extra days off. What did you get done? What were the things that you did during those days? Just kind of reflect for a minute. I'm sure you connected with family or friends, got presents, gave presents. Maybe got to sleep in, ate lots of food. What didn't you do that you probably should have? How about devotions? How about exercising for those of us who really need that as a discipline? How about sending that card to your friend who's going through a rough time? How about working on your budget or your finances? How about setting goals for the new year? What if you were as disciplined in having a daily quiet time as you are in never missing a meal? Or whatever it is that you're disciplined in. What if you were so disciplined in serving others as if you were as it is to get up and go to work every day? What if you were as disciplined in attending your community group as you are in enjoying your entertainment? You know, there's another word for discipline that we tend to like a little better, and I give you permission to use it instead of discipline if you prefer. It's the word habits. Habits are simply disciplines that are practiced regularly. I have a habit of getting up and going to work, so I'm disciplined. Or I have a habit of regularly exercising. I'm disciplined. I have a habit of looking for deals on the Internet. I'm disciplined. So tell me what you do habitually, and it will tell me what you're disciplined in. It will also tell me something about your character. If you're habitually telling the truth, you have integrity. If you habitually work hard, you're a responsible person. But the flip side of those is also true. Habits are what we do over and over and over without even thinking. If it's a habit, it's a part of our life. It's a part of our whole life. And it's, it's designed and shapes and controls and develops our life. So here's the key. If you want to change your life, all you have to do is change your habits. Now, one of the things that we're inviting you to do during these next weeks as we focus as a church on living life on purpose is to fast for 40 days beginning tomorrow. Typically, the principle of fasting is to abstain from something for the purpose of concentrating on something else. So we perhaps can fast from lunch, and you can use that time to read the Purpose Driven Life book. 
read your chapter for the day. Or we can fast from TV and have time to connect with God. We may even, you know, fast from sweets to discipline our body to need them less. Now, I would also like to suggest that rather than simply abstaining from a habit, we might also initiate action to form a new habit. Two years ago, as a part of our fasting as a church, uh, one of our members, a good friend of mine, decided to fast from an extra hour of sleep, or probably the reverse, to get one less hour of sleep with the purpose of getting up early and spending time with God. And that person would tell you today that that activity became a habit and has changed their life, and they continue it even through this day. So fasting can be the abstinence from something for the purpose of something else. But we also can simply create and facilitate a new habit. Listen to this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Or as the Living Bible puts it, Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Now, in our society, we're very, very alert and aware to physical fitness. Uh, We don't all do much about it, but, you know, the idea of eating healthy and exercising regularly, we're aware of. For most of us, you know, we we have a heart attack or, you know, catastrophe strikes, and then we go, okay, I better do something about it. But we're thoughtful about it. We know it should be happening. Being physically fit is important. Well, just as there are exercises to keep us physically fit, so there are spiritual exercises that we can do that will keep us spiritually fit. (coughs) These have been typically called throughout the centuries the spiritual disciplines. Now, I want to talk about one that actually isn't among the list of spiritual disciplines by Dallas Willard or Richard Foster, uh, but I believe it is a spiritual discipline that would be very helpful for us. And it's the spiritual discipline that I call letting go, which means that you need to let go of something because you can't keep adding to your schedule without letting go of something else. It's the spiritual discipline of letting go. Hebrews 12.1, one of my favorite passages. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles. Two words here, weight and sin, are two things that hold us back. They're two things that keep us from being all that God would want us to be. They're two things that limit our potential in life. They're two things that cause us to waste our lives. And the author author of Hebrews says you've got to let go of those things. One of those things is sins. The other is weights. Now, we know what sins are. Those are things that violate and hurt us. They're things that hurt others and hurt God. But what is a weight? Well, a weight is something that's not necessarily wrong. It's just not necessary. It's not wrong to run a marathon holding a bowling ball. But it can be rather foolish, maybe even stupid. And there are things in life that are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary and possibly foolish. A weight can be all kinds of things. It could be a relationship. It could be an activity. It could be an expectation. It could be a memory or a hurt from the past. It could be a personal failure. It could be fear. It could even be your job. There are thousands of different kinds of weights. And the Bible says that for us to grow, we must learn to say no. You can't say yes to everything. You have to say no to some things in order to have time for the best things. You have to say no to things that are not bad. In fact, some of them might be quite good, but you say no to them because you cannot do it all. You cannot have it all. 
if we're going to make space for God in our lives, then we're going to have to cut some stuff out. Sin for sure, but also weights that are hindering us from God's best. Now, Claire and I, as your pastors and your community group leaders, are concerned for you. You, like us, are too busy. And you can't keep adding weight to your schedule without sometime blowing out a tire or a relationship or your spiritual health. And so we're going to be asking you over the next 40 days to fast from something to let go of, to practice the spiritual discipline of letting go so that you can add three new habits to your schedule. They say you can break a habit in 20 days, break or make a habit in 20. We're, we're inviting you to try this for 40 because, you know, most of us have a difficult time. We need twice as long to do it. Three things that we want to ask you to do, habits that we would like you to form. Some of you already have some of these in place. The first one is that we want you to read a chapter, have a devotional time each day. And we would like you to read the Purpose Driven Life book. Read it with the family members if you have other devotions, but fit that in, 15 minutes a day. We want you also to meet weekly in a community group. Most of you here are in groups or have been in the past. But I would challenge you, if you're not currently in one, that you would meet together with a group of friends in a home where we're looking at these principles and themes and ideas of living life on purpose. In that small group setting, we're going to have the opportunity to talk and really work it out in a way that we obviously can't do here on a Sunday morning. So we want you to read and spend a devotional time each day. We want you to be in a weekly community group. And we're also going to be providing for you a Bible verse to memorize each week, starting next Sunday. Claire will probably be emailing the list out to you this week. Scripture memorization is something that a number of us have done in the past. Um, those scriptures that I still can recollect are significant for me. Um, and, and allow me to live my life better when I reflect on those verses. One of those that I often encourage uh, those that I've mentored and coached before to begin with is from Psalms 119.11. And it says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the outcome of that habit is you're going to sin less. And how many of you would like to sin less? Here is a God-given principle. Treasure, memorize God's word that you will not sin against him. And I would advocate that the best way to do that, the best way to memorize is not a one-time shot like you would for an exam. You know, 15, 20 minute, da 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 card, look down, look down. Got it! For the next few hours. What I have found is that I need that over probably weeks and probably need to even pull it back. I have a, a fairly, uh, fairly simple scripture memorization process. If any of you would like some coaching on it, I'd be happy to do that for you. It's not, uh, you know... Rocket science. But over the next six weeks or so, we're going to give you a scripture verse that we would encourage you to memorize. At the end of this time, at the end of these weeks, you'll have six verses memorized if you have none other. So we're going to ask you to put on, to take action on three new habits. So I'm telling you as your pastor who really cares about you, you need to decide what it is that you're going to put off. What is it that you're going to let go of, that you're going to fast from? What is it you're going to cut out before you start these 40 days of purpose? You know, you can put so many irons in the fire that you put out the fire. And if you burn the candle at both ends, then you're not as bright as you think you are. Our lives are already very overcrowded, but not everything is of equal value. 
we need to resolve what is it that I'm going to stop doing. Anytime we take on a new activity in our calendar, we need to say, what am I not going to do? Anytime we want to form a new habit, a new skill, a new commitment, we need to say, what is it I'm not going to do? That's the discipline, the spiritual discipline of letting go. So question one is, what does God want? He wants all of you, every part of you. He wants to be first in your life. And what is it going to take? It's going to take discipline. You can't be a disciple without discipline. It's going to take letting go of habits and patterns in our lives and taking on new ones. But thirdly, why should I do it? Why should I make the effort to give God all of me, to become disciplined, to grow spiritually? Why should I let go of some things to make space for God in my life? Well, there's a lot of benefits, benefits here in life as well as eternal benefits. But even if there were no benefits to doing what God tells us to do, I can tell you the reason why we ought to do it in two words. The cross. On the cross, Jesus gave his life completely for us. And he wants our life in return. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved that he gave, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The cross is a symbol of death that brought life to all who would receive it. The cross is the reason why we put God first and discipline our lives. The cross is the reason why we no longer live our lives for ourselves, but instead live our life for him who died for us. Without the cross, we would have no purpose in this life. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross, but he chose to suffer and die. He chose to pay the penalty for our sin, offering to us forgiveness, restored relationship, and purpose. Romans 12.1 says, Brothers and sisters, because of God's compassion towards us, I plead with you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices dedicated to God and pleasing to him. It cost Jesus his life for you and me to have life. And it's going to cost us our life to live for him. Without Christ, we have no life. With Christ, we have life. In fact, an abundant eternal life. Because of the cross, we will live forever. But only a life lived forever for him is worth living. You matter to God. People matter to God. Your neighbors matter to God. Your family members matter to God. Your co-workers matter to God. Remember the very first verse we started with this morning, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It says, be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
far more important than anything else we could do in our life is to help another person share our eternal destiny. So before we close, I want to ask you to consider as we look forward to these weeks of focusing on the purpose-driven life, a topic that by and large everyone is wrestling with. Why am I here? That you would pray about and consider who you invite to these services. Beginning, Who could you invite to go with you to your community group this week? Who could you invite to read the book with you each day? There is nothing greater than the joy of knowing that someone we're relating to is now on their way to heaven as well as us. So this morning, as we consider these three questions, where are we going? What is our purpose? What does God want? What does it take? And why? I would like to invite you, if it's the first time, or the eighth time, or the hundredth time, or the thousandth time, if you would like to say, yes, God, I want you to have all of me. I want you to be first in my life. Then I would invite you to pray a prayer with me. I'd like you to repeat the words after me. You don't have to say them out loud. You can speak them to God in your heart and with your mind. If you want to say yes, God, again, or for the first time, would you pray this prayer with me? God, I have pursued a lot of things in my life. And I've made a lot of things first before you. But they have all led to a dead end. This morning, I am ready to make you first in my life. Right now, I accept Jesus Christ as my God and my Savior. I choose this day to make you first and to live my life for you. Jesus, I ask that you would come into my life and accomplish in me what I cannot accomplish myself. Thank you for your death and now for your life being lived out, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is my act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Identify one or more things that we uh, need to put behind us today. Uh, weights that hinder us from fulfilling God's call in our lives. And so each year on the first Sunday of the new year, we have an exercise of writing on a piece of paper those things that we want to put behind us. Patterns, habits, sins, activities. And then we take that piece of paper, we fold it up, and we nail it to the cross. Symbolically portraying the putting to death of those things. Enabling us to leave them behind and to walk forward into newness of life. Juan, would you move that cross to the floor? 
We don't have it mounted um, as we used to. Um, but we're going to have it on the floor here, just kind of in front of the uh, manger and uh, Christmas tree. So that when you nail it, you can nail it down. Go ahead and um, put it a little further that way. Need to be able to walk by it and around it. So if you would, in your programs, uh, you should have received one of those red pieces of paper with a little cross on it. If you don't have one uh, and or you need a pen, can you raise your hand? Peg, we have any extras still there? We've got about seven, eight people here that need them. About half of the people here need them. So they'll go ahead and bring those. Those of you that have them can uh, begin to use this time. Could I ask the worship team, Joy, to come back up and do that first song, The Cross, um, some part of your team? And uh, we'll allow you to either start now if you're ready with your piece of paper team, or you can do it after we're done. Are we getting those papers too? folks thanks pens is there aren't enough extras should be we've got about eight people that need paper still the apostle paul said in galatians 5 24 those who belong to christ jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there The Apostle Paul also said, So then, my beloved friends, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You don't do this alone. You do this with the power of Christ. You do this with the Holy Spirit. You do this with your friends and your family. So what I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment is to come forward, as these have done, to nail to the cross your paper. Please don't fold it so that your words are written on the outside so that we all get to read your junk. Please fold it up on the inside. I have to say that because, believe it or not, it was done in the past. I had to take them off and fold them up and renail it back on. I don't want to see your stuff. I don't want you to see my stuff. Following that, then we will have communion elements available for you as well. Donna, would you come and just be there to serve that? And then I need a a couple of folks to stand just to Donna's left over here, kind of in this aisle, maybe a a couple in the center. It may be that you would find it helpful this morning to have someone pray with you about these things that you're nailing to the cross, these weights, these patterns, these habits, these things that you want to put off to be able to put on the life that Christ has for you. And so following communion, after you nail, the nail, come and receive uh, communion, and then a few folks will be there to pray with you if you would like that. <coughs> Just wait. If we don't have enough people to do that, perhaps some of you can uh, do this transaction first and then be available to help. That would be great. As you nail it, I want you to consider these words from that Philippians passage. I am a new person in Jesus. The old has passed away. I have been born 